0: This is The Demon Games, Volume 1, The Game of Man and Fallen Angels, and this is Episode 3, Enemies. It is told from the perspective of Sniper Grayson. Twelve hours in, I have collected some useful data through my scope. I have confirmed there are a total of six Yemeni soldiers guarding the prisoners. I have also been able to identify the ranking guard by the black band on the left sleeve of his uniform. I will take him out first. He will be number 128. When the ranking officer goes down, the rest of the troops are often confused. These men are soldiers. They rely on orders a little too much for their own good. Their training does not teach them much about individual survival, and this makes my job easier. Two of the remaining five are sharing a cigarette every 25 to 30 minutes. They are due to light up again in about 10. I will take them out last. They will be numbers 132 and 133. It will take them longer to drop the smokes, get the rifles off their backs, and locate a safe spot from which to return fire. The next cigarette they light will be the last of their lives and my signal to start shooting. I will kill numbers 129 to 131 from left to right. There's no special reason for this order. I just happen to prefer shooting from left to right. The smoking buddies do not disappoint they light up right on schedule. The ranking officer is on his radio wrapping up the day with his commanding officer. His pacing will make his shot a little more difficult. I scan my scope over each of the six targets, hesitating for a second on each man's neck to check for the clearest shot. Everything appears to be ready. I still have not seen the prisoners. It helps that they are not outside where they can be hit by a stray bullet or where they can end up in a hostage situation. The ground team is on standby. They will rush the cave to get the American prisoners out as soon as I finish my job. The ranking guard finishes on the radio and puts it back in his gearbox. It's go time. I take in a long breath and release it slowly as I settle into Marksman's position. I'm lying on my stomach with my elbows supporting my upper body. My rifle is resting on the swivel bipod, which gives me steadiness and ease of mobility. With my scope locked onto the neck of 128, I gently touch the tip of my finger to the trigger and recheck conditions. No wind, lighting is adequate, no precipitation, and all six targets are in view. I slightly pulse my finger on the trigger to take it the rest of the way. The gun kicks a bit. The silencer contains the sound and the leader drops. As expected, the other five begin to scatter. Guards 129 and 130 rush to check on their captain. They pull him out of the line of fire, as if he could still be alive. I focus on the one on the left. Another swift pull of the trigger, and he drops as well. Guard 130 catches on now and looks in my direction. He opens his stance for a second, and I tap the trigger again. He drops on top of 129. Guard 131 runs for the cave, I must stop him before he gets to the prisoners. I do not like shooting men in the back, but I have no choice now. Luckily for me, the guard is not wearing a helmet. I take out the back of his skull. The smokers now have their guns off their backs. They jump behind separate boulders for protection. I hold tight. After all, I have the advantage. I can see them, but they cannot see me. They are afraid, and I am not. After a few minutes, I see 133 send a signal to 132. Though I cannot make up the hand motion, I know he has assumed the leadership role. He just jumped to the top of my short list. I do not worry myself with their plan. It's always the same. One will try to distract me by either running in my direction or diving for a piece of communication equipment. A good sniper ignores distractions and keeps his eyes on the target. I must give the guards credit for originality. They go with the suicide distraction, a tactic which is popular with the Japanese and Islamic armies. It is tougher to anticipate and almost impossible to to defuse. Guard 132 jumps out from behind a boulder with his mini Uzi aimed in my direction. His machine gun can hold up to 30 rounds. I assume it's full and that he's not worried about accuracy. I must move quickly or risk being hit by the spray of the guards' aimless bullets. My scope has not left the boulder where 133 is hiding. If he is going to run, he will either go for the brush behind him, where he will meet up with the rest of my team, or for the cave. And I bet on the cave. I aim my gun at a spot just to the right of the boulder. Based on his height, I estimate where his head would reach if he were bent over running for the cave. I choose a spot 54 inches above the ground and wait. My calculations are correct guard 132 moves directly into my line of fire. Forced to shoot another coward, I blow off the back of 132's head. Blood sprays all the way to the cave opening. With an immediate three-inch drop of my gun, I lock the suicide shooter into my scope just as he reaches the base of my perch. It will be an easy shot. Like his buddies, 133 is not wearing a helmet. I could go for the face, but I will choose the neck instead, mainly because I prefer the bigger challenge. I squeeze the trigger. 133's head drops and he falls backwards. The area goes quiet. I signal the ground troops. They come in cautiously, guns ready. Four of them head into the cave with bolt cutters to free the POWs. Two stand guard outside. I watch over the area in case backups have been deployed. Since we are on an island under surveillance by Navy drones, the chances of there being anyone else in the vicinity is extremely low. I reach for my backpack and pull out my binoculars. Feeling relaxed now, I drop my rifle and stand up to take a better look around the island. I feel the warm ocean breeze moving across my face. I hear the helicopter approaching to pick up the American prisoners and ground troops. I congratulate myself on a job well done. As I drop my binoculars, I feel a sting on my neck. My legs give out, and I hit the ground hard. As Episode 3 ends, we get to see the end of what appears to be a successful mission. It's only in the last seconds that we are left wondering what has happened to the American Sniper. In Demon Talk for Episode 3 that follows this episode, we discuss some of the great parallels between physical warfare and spiritual warfare. We are warned in the end times, spiritual warfare will be the greatest challenge for believers, not physical We are also warned that this battle will intensify as we move closer to the end. How then should we be preparing? Three of the parallels that we bring out of these early episodes we'll discuss in our Demon Talk episode. One, be fully prepared. You know, are we studying, are we praying, are we thinking, are we watching? And number two, are we aware of our points of exposure? Points of exposure would be areas of our lives that make us weak, pull us under, cause us to make bad decisions and only you know your destructive patterns, as only I know mine, but we learn how we might build some walls against them. And three, one of the other points we will discuss in depth is how we can know more about our enemy than our enemy knows about us. To do this, we will have to study the enemy from our religious writings and the experiences of others. It's not the most comfortable feeling to realize that we have a very real enemy. Especially when it seems at times that we've been dropped in the middle of a game that we wonder if we fully understand and at times can wonder what is ultimately expected from us. So please tune in to episode three's Demon Talk that follows this episode and I also invite you to episode 4, Victim.